This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And this is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Bonaventure Chapman. Welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to Godsplaining wherever you listen to your podcasts. Even if you don't enjoy the show, maybe. Pay? Yeah. Patreon? Uh, why not? Or just like and subscribe? No, yeah. that's not enough. All right. Yeah. Perfect. There we go. Things are getting real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Lent. Almsgiving. There you go. Come on. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Take pity on those who are poor. Poor in quality podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Or doing poor quality. Never mind. Yep. Okay. Great. Well, welcome to Lexio Splaining. Uh-huh. Um, we're together. It's great. Second week of Lent. Mm-hmm. We are either like failing miserably or doing awesomely mm-hmm. uh, at Lent. Uh, hopefully the latter, but probably mm-hmm. at least in my case, the first. Um, but one of the things that is, you know, a, cha- a Lenten challenge mm-hmm. for me or mm-hmm. challenging during the season of Lent for me has to do with eating. Mm-hmm. Because whenever there's... <laughs> can you stop saying mm, both of you? <laughs> mm. uh, because whenever there's Ooh. a fast or abstinence, you for some reason, you always like, I'm always hungrier. On fast days, I mean, I yeah. guess it's not your eating, but you know, like the food becomes it's psychological. Like, yeah, yeah, you focus it's tough. on it as opposed to just assuming it. Yeah, yeah. But we're also still in the throes of winter. It's oh, yeah. February mm-hmm. or February. Um, uh, nuclear so, or nuclear? That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm super curious to know. It's mm. been killing me. <laughs> I'm dying to know. Yeah. Favorite winter food? Ooh, great question. You ever thought? I do. I love lentil soup. Oh, um, gosh, my mother used to awful. make. Uh, my mother used to make so like it was Christmas time. Or wintertime, February. You were just under snow in Buffalo for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just have wonderful visions and sense memories of uh, a pot, a giant pot of lentil soup just boiling over mm. most of the day. Sausage in there. I mean, just thick, real, like not not your kind of watery lentil soup, like right. a real thing. And you'd get the big, basically two baguettes of bread. Each person gets two baguettes. You uh-huh. have two hands. Right. Um, and you can just dip that thing, and wow, that's a meal and a half. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the best winter meal. You remember sock and boppers, those inflatable fist things that you used to beat each other up with? Yeah, in like 1993, like oh. big boxing gloves, oh, big okay, boxing, sure. yeah, but like inflatable yeah. boxing you. gloves. Yeah, I picture you with the two baguettes and your brother kind of doing like baguette boppers. Yeah, you know, it's like we could dunk these or we could. Never mind. Um, I feel like in order, you know, not that the point of this podcast is to top each other. It's not. But every time somebody gives a cool thing like lentil soup, you feel like you almost have to outdo them. Not very But the thing with like lentil case. soup is it can't be outdone really. Like what am I to say? Like black bean burgers, you <laughs> yeah, know, like vegan true. sausage. Yeah. Um, it's just so earthy. Beef Wellington. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like a pasty little covering and such and like, you know. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't thought about that at any great length. But perhaps it's time. Uh, high time to think better about Beef Wellington. Um, I think that for me, as is with most things in my life, I go with associated memories of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we came in from sledding, the go-to meal was tomato soup and grilled cheese. Mm. Oh, yeah. um, sure. So not the most complex meal, mm-hmm. right? You got your bread, you got your butter, you got your cheese, you got your tomato soup, maybe some milk. If you added in the milk rather than the water, it made it really, like richer and creamier. Um, so that was a that's a happy winter meal memory. Yeah, that's yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Do you like that? I actually don't really like grilled cheese. <laughs> <laughs> not, I don't. It's not like an aversion to it, but uh-huh. it's not like my thing. Yeah. But we often had tomato soup and grilled cheese, so it's fine. Okay. Um, You're gonna say like a yogurt parfait or something, but that's your favorite. You cold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You called no noun. <laughs> you called bird. 
I'm sorry. A yogurt? No. I was going to say, like, I don't know if it's particularly a winter meal, but I, I think of it as a winter meal. But, like, meatloaf mm. is, okay, both of you are the worst. <laughs> I mean, you said lentil soup. Like you have can't no- beat lentil soup. What are you talking about? <laughs> Anyways, I'm not. I'm not. Got to warm the this. body. Meatloaf, it's good. I'm meatloaf's great. Mom mm. makes good meatloaf. I grew up meatloaf, fantastic. But like, okay, let, let's winter time. Let's warm this thing up. Yeah, you know? yeah. Meat. I don't eat cold meatloaf. Internal warming, right? Have you thought about that? All right. So it's the second week of Lent, second yeah. Sunday, and we're gonna we're gonna leave the garbage lentil soup behind. Uh, yep. Wow. And we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna look at the readings as we are. Slated to, to do, do. accustomed yeah. to do, mm-hmm. but so before we, we do that, want even yeah. want. I want. want to pray the collect, so we're going to do that first. Do it up. All right. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. O God, who have commanded us to listen to your beloved Son, be pleased. We pray to nourish us inwardly by your Word, that with spiritual sight made pure, we may rejoice to behold your glory through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, Father Bonaventure, I think you're taking us, or taking on the first reading. I'll take it on. A reading from the book of Genesis. God put Abraham to the test. He called to him, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son Isaac, your only one, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you shall offer him up as a holocaust on a height that I will point out to you. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Then he reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the Lord's messenger called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Do not lay your hand on the boy, said the messenger. Do not do the least thing to to him. I know now how devoted you are to God since you did not withhold from me your own beloved son. As Abraham looked about, he spied a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he went and took the ram and offered it up as a holocaust in place of his son. Again the Lord's messenger called to Abraham from heaven and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you acted as you did in not withholding from me your beloved son, I will bless you abundantly. And make your descendants as countless as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Your descendants shall take possession of the gates of their enemies, and in your descendants all the nations of the earth shall find blessing. All this because you obeyed my command. So this is a great passage. I love this one. It's telescoped here. Uh, It's a much longer passage because we've missed out on the journey to Mount Moria with uh, with Isaac and Abraham, where Isaac asks his father, um, we have the knife, we've got the fire. I assume he means the firewood. It's not like he's carrying a torch with him or something. Hmm. He says, what about the offering? And Abraham says, God will provide. And you have this, uh, there's so much here typologically for, of course, God the Father and the Son. Um, you have, again, the renewal of the covenant. So we keep God in Genesis always renewing the covenant with Abraham. Uh, and then this one has the, the nations we blessed. So again, the universal covenant here. But I love just the, the psychology, the psychological aspect of, of Abraham. What, what was it like to be him at this point? Uh, we, we might have the sense of uh, that he was a simple man, and so 
he's used to sacrificing his own children, and you know they were a carnal people back then. But of course, he's not. These are not crazy people. They're humans like us, and it's not like just because they lived in the ancient Near East that they therefore didn't value human life in the way that we do. They might have not the same uh, view of the United Nations and all of that, but they still. It's not like sacrificing his son was a normal thing, uh, and yet. He goes ahead and is willing to go as far as, basically, until the Lord stops him. And trying to puzzle through, like, what that's about, it struck, it's just struck me recently that maybe he, he's not that complicated. He has a trust in God. He knows God by now. He's talked to him a number of times. We've been through this for 10 chapters with Abraham at this point. He has a recognition of God's voice, and not just hearing, like, commands, like, messages, but rather the, the, the call of a father, of someone who's called him out of his own land, who he's trusted at this point, even though he hasn't seen all the benefits yet. And maybe when we try to figure out what was he thinking, did he know ahead of time that obviously he was going to provide for something? Did he, did he not know that and he should have known that? Blah, blah. Maybe he's, these are just complicated questions we ask as moderns, but maybe he just had a simple, simple trust in knowing the father's voice and knowing that it was going to be okay without knowing how it was going to be okay. And then we're the ones that make it complicated because we don't actually trust God in that way. See, you led with, you know, he's not crazy or our faith isn't crazy. And, and when I read this passage, I think that's the first impression I do get. Like, this is nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's fine to have that recognition or it's fine mm-hmm. to be struck by that, at least prima facie, because otherwise we, we risk domesticating the faith, I think. Like, mm-hmm. there are things about Christianity which are just wild, or there are things about intertestamental typological readings of sacred scripture, which are just wild. And the wildness has a pedagogical purpose. We're supposed to question the text. We're supposed to engage with the text, not so that we can say, oh, this is, you know, just kind of boring and simple and straightforward. Not that you're saying that. Um, but yeah, this this wildness actually mediates a deeper wildness. And, and I was thinking about this recently apropos of fear, because fear is an essential feature in the, the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. We talk about servile fear, like the fear of servants who um, are afraid of punishment, or we talk about filial fear, like the fear of sons who are afraid of offense, um, you know, selling the relationship with one's father. But even unto heaven, there's an element of fear, right? There's an element of fear that abides throughout the entirety of our Christian lives. When we come before the Most High God, Most High God and we recognize the fact, like, we can't control him, we can't manipulate him, we can't subject him to our own use, he's just going to be who he's going to be. He's not just like be. us. Yeah, he's not just like us. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to lay claim to our humanity in a way that's kind of terrible, right? When you read the, what is it, the Chronicles of Narnia, we hear of Aslan, that he's not a tame lion. Yes. That he's terrible and good. I think that's trying to capture something of the same sentiment, the same thought. But um, the text is, it's meant to be discomforting. It's meant to be disquieting because it's meant to reveal like who God is, who we are before him, and then the purchase that has on us. And also the distance before Father Jacob Bertrand gives the, de- the determinatio. <laughs> uh, the, if you keep God too close and tame, as you say, um, then... You, you lack the brilliance of the incarnation. Like, it's not a shock. If God is really just kind of like us, and we can reason through all the things that's going on in the Old Testament, and just in general from God, um, that he's, he's just a bigger version of us, a super angel, well, then the incarnation is not that shocking or surprising. Whereas as, he, as you realize more and more what it means to be a God, what it might mean to be a God, and the fact that one of them, the God, took on flesh in the incarnation, that is more impressive and more exciting. It's also, so this is kind of along the lines of what I was thinking and when thinking about this passage and, um, and all of it, and, and 
not the shockingness of the incarnation, not that it's not, but the shockingness of of the death of Christ. Mm-hmm. Because so I've heard it said, and I'm sure you know people listening or others have have heard people in reflecting on these on the sacrifice of Isaac. You know, like how could God do this? Like this is crazy. Like you were saying, you know, this is crazy. This is insane that that a God that God would ask a father to sacrifice his son. And then you want to say, well, as you as you let that kind of sink in, you're kind of like, you should think, hold on, wait, but this is what's happening with mm-hmm. Christ. This is precisely what's ha- like. This is, and it shows the like the the sort of in comparison. I've I've not heard the same complaint issued against God the Father in sending mm-hmm. His Son to die for us. Yeah. You know, but the the Abraham Isaac relationship, um, in in that it is. Question raising and reminds reminds us of the incredible, yeah, lengths and the the incredible sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. We see it all the time. We don't think actually this is not just a a, a foregone conclusion. Like this is a a sacrifice. Yeah, and when we about this, yeah, and when Mm -hmm. we look then at the at the crucifixion, we ought to look at it in light of this sort of like prophecy, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. of of what's to come. This uh, this sort of um, symbol of what's to come. And as shocked as we are at the Abraham Isaac sacrifice mm-hmm. all the more should we be shocked at at god sending his son to be sacrificed who was actually sacrificed yeah uh, for us yeah. so and that's not that's not to say like this isn't crazy or difficult or tough but like it just highlights um god's divine love and offering mm-hmm. of himself on the cross for us so um yeah that's that's kind of what jumps out but les we continue to repeat ourselves mm-hmm. why don't we Second reading Why don't we look at the second reading? Let yeah. us henceforth second readify. Uh, a, a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? It is God who acquits us, who will condemn Christ Jesus it is who died, or rather was raised, who also is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. So, uh, you know, there's a type of argument where you say, all right, this person did the utmost thing, so, I mean, you can kind of presume upon the less than the utmost thing. Um, It's like a fortiori argumentation, you know, it's like, by virtue of the stronger point, you can take the weaker point in stride. You just don't really have to worry about it too terribly much because it just falls in line. And that's kind of what we have going on here. St. Paul says, yeah, so he gave, <laughs> he, gave us, he gave us his son, and like you're worried about recovering that earring that you dropped on the train, slash you're worried about you know, making your mortgage payment next month, slash you're worried about dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank for your appropriate situation. But it's like we permit ourselves to be not anxious just in the mere emotional or psychological sense, but like existentially anxious about all kinds of stuff. Like we're constantly buffering ourselves against the threat that our humanity is inadequate to the task, uh, just kind of ground under by whatever it is, you know, sadness or, or loneliness or yada, yada. I shouldn't say yada, yada. I mean, these are real things. Um, but, but what we have here is this terrible, shocking, astonishing announcement that he gave his son. Like he gave his son. So what will we not supply, you know, so as to make up for the lack in your mm-hmm. present experience of reality? It's not like a prosperity gospel where it's like, hey, if you want a big house, you'll get a big house. If you want a big paycheck, you'll get a big paycheck. If you want a big plate of chocolate chip cookies, you get a big plate of chocolate chip cookies. But it's like, you'll get what you need. 
you know, provided that you pray for the things necessary for salvation, you know, for yourself, and you do so devoutly and perseveringly, you, you won't be left without access to God himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have that for us vouchsafed in the offering of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is powerful indeed. So, yeah. Yeah, I think here, to, along the same lines, the the question is not, um, and perhaps perhaps we don't pose this question outright, but maybe it's sort of an underlying what reality in our relationship with with God that that we know that He gave His Son, we know that Christ died once for all in expiation for our sins. We know that our sins are forgiven in Christ in the sacraments, and yet there's still, like you were saying, there's still is it almost doesn't seem sufficient for belief at times. You know, it's kind of like then I am worried about this or worried about that, and when it's kind of like why. Mm-hmm. And and that's now I'm over, like, I know why, like life is complicated, but all, all the rest. But it, it, the point here is that not that like we should beat ourselves up for an, an imperfect faith or anything like that, but recognize that we, we are being invited into the very life of Christ, mm-hmm. into, into his life, into a life that has been offered to us. And as you were saying, Father Gregory, like it's an invitation and we have to cooperate and persevere and be there, but, but that Christ died, God gave his son totally completely for for our sake and that ought to be it should be at times a consolation that despite all the rest it's like well it's already been done like it's been accomplished you know and now it's a matter of i don't really like this but like appropriating it into my life or Mm -hmm. leaning into that invitation or you know being conformed more and more by grace but it's not that god is lacking kind of yeah i think it's uh, we're pointing out this temptation for christ and Mm-hmm. Christianity yeah. is Christ and, yeah. uh, as opposed to Christianity is, is Christ alone, and then and the other things are there, um, and whether they go well or or not, um, you still have an infinite value in Christ, and you can add other things to that because of transfinite numbers, but you have an infinite value with this Christ. I think of um, Saint Ignatius of the Sushipe prayer. I take Lord my understand my liberty my understanding, my memory, my will, all that I have and all that I possess, you gave it all to me, I give it all back to you. Give me only the grace to love you, for that is enough for me. All right, you take everything you've got from me, just give me the grace to love you, because loving you is all that I really want and really need. And when I pray that in, in the mornings, just to remind my, myself that he is, he is enough. Like, that's the Christian claim, he is enough. And whether whatever goes in this day... I know that I will be provided for because I'll have an opportunity to talk to Jesus Christ and to hopefully have a loving conversation with him and to end my day thinking of him again. And so it's not Christ and something else, that Christ is the means to uh, a wonderful life or a happy fulfillment, all this sort of thing. He is that fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not to say that we shouldn't uh, try to go f- strive for excellence and, and all these other virtues and all the other the gifts and the, you know the earth and... And we should live good lives and and aim for that. For sanctity and sainthood is this. Um, we don't, we're not just martyrs. But at the end of the day, that it is that Christ is sufficient, and He ought to be sufficient for me. And if it's it's my failing, if I don't see that He's sufficient. Um, two thoughts. One, I wonder if Saint Ignatius was at all like dependent upon that prayer of Saint Nicholas of Flew, uh, "My Lord and my God, take all to yourself." Mein Herr und mein Gott nimmt alles dir, yeah. um, which is the only prayer of St. Nicholas of Flew that we sang in the liturgy in Switzerland. He's the patron saint of Switzerland. It's really beautiful. Hmm. Um, then, apropos of that, though, 
I think that you're right. We think you start with Christ, but then you get those other things that you need in turn. When truth be told, all you need is Christ. And that doesn't mean that you don't need physical integrity or emotional stability or psychological homeostasis or whatever else it is, right? But that those things are only ever to be had in Christ. And you don't just go to Christ in order to get those things. You mm-hmm. go to Christ in order to get Christ. And then you come to discover that, you know, maybe these things are provided in turn. Maybe they're not, but it's trivialized as a result, like those other things, I should say, almost banalized in the sense that they take on their light or they take on their appropriate place in light of this one offering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as to whether or not you obtain them, you're able to yeah, reconcile yourself to that because you got the goods. I mean, the good. I also think this is a, so in Romans, in the, where we are at this point, I was, Romans is like a road up to the high mountains. You could say Romans, the, the Himalayas, right, of, of, the, of the letters of Paul. And then Romans itself is, sorry, chapters 8 and 9 are the Mount Everest, the peaks here. But you might say actually that this is on the way to the end, of course, Romans 11, where we have kind of the, all the full salvation, all this stuff coming in. This is kind of like a hike where you have a, a little a view. You just break out from the forest for a second from all the things that are going on, and you get a view of the landscape, and you see it, and it's beautiful. Like it's just a pause for a second on the journey such that you see for in my relationship with God, Christ is already there. So I'm, I've made it this far, and I can see what's going to happen. And then from here, this is the end of 8, then 9, 10, 11, we go on to bring in everyone. It goes to the universal kind of dynamic to it. But you have to, you have to stop at this break here, this little pause, and see this is marvelous. This is what Christ came for us. So it's on the journey of this kind of hike uh, up, up the mountain Romans. Uh, this is a beautiful stopping point for... For lunch and some meditation with Christ. Mm-hmm. All right. Numbers. Well, <clears throat> speaking of mountains, yep. mm-hmm. let's go to the gospel. Let's do it. Great. A reading from the, Ho- from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, In reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say, they were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice, This is my beloved son, listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. In all of the readings that we have for this second Sunday of Lent, from Genesis and the sacrifice of Isaac, from the eighth chapter of Romans to the gospel, there's there's a, a sort of through theme of sonship. Um, we can think of the relationship, you know, Isaac, the son of Abraham, Paul in Romans speaking about um, the father sending the son, you know, to die for us. And here, uh, the father speaks in the cloud, um, saying, behold, this is my beloved son. And we could say a lot about what it, various sonships mean, what it means to be the son of Abraham with respect to the covenant and the promise of the covenant with respect to the second person of the Trinity becoming man, the incarnation, Jesus. Um, but something here too, I think that, you know, if we look forward, what is, to, what is to come, if we look forward 
from the scriptures and you know what we're moving to to Easter is that we is to us in a way that we in virtue of the baptism that we receive are made sons and daughters uh, of the Father and um, that's not to say that all of us will be crucified like Christ as as he sent you know he stands in our place in that but that we share in the inheritance of of Christ um, Father Gregory when you were talking about the second reading you were you know talking about fulfillment happiness and that it's not like and I think Father Bonaventure, you said that it's not Christ isn't a means to these things, but he is that thing. You know, he's he's the inheritance that mm-hmm. that we get as as um, yeah, as sons of the Most High, as daughters of the Most High. And um, in speaking about the covenant, uh, the old covenant that's fulfilled in Christ, and and then given to us in you know the the gifts of the new covenant through the sacraments, I think it's important for us to remember that as we rely on Christ as we put him put ourselves in his presence by his grace to be conformed that that we are um, that we're looking forward to to being co-heirs with him too there's you know this great hope and this great gift that we're promised so I think we shouldn't you know two weeks into or a week or whatever into Lent I don't think we should lose lose sight of of, of the things that God promises to, to fulfill yeah and I think it's it, the sonship and it's a nice point. Because the Easter vigil, of course, many times in the parishes, you'll do baptisms. I'm sure you do this at St. Dennis. And it's fitting that, of course, that is the time to do baptisms because the the sonship is made, the resurrection in Christ, and so that's when you become adopted members. I think also you make a good point about that the sonship as not just kind of accepting us, but rather co-heirs, which seems insane because Christ is second person of the Trinity. Um, But uh, that here you have him transfigured, and that this is where St. Peter talks about, you know, partaking the divine nature, and whatever we mean by that, our sonship is a matter of elevating, which uh, Father Gregory will be able to uh, talk about with grace, I suppose, and he elevates, um, but it is elevating us, and not just the sonship of, we think, oh, if we get to the end of life, then God just stamps us as sons. Like, we, uh, we got a sonship stamp, we have a card, as long as we don't lose it in mortal sin, then he counts us just as we are in a way, where the call is actually to be transfigured, and transformed through grace by participating in that, that we might, in some fashion, get closer to him as being sons in the Son, as being adopted sons, be related. So it's a call to, to sonship, not as some stamp or just reality, but actually to be made sons. That doesn't just happen at baptism, but then continues the grace of baptism towards that thing. Yeah, I... um. When thinking about the transfiguration, it's typical in tradition to describe it as, you know, the, the greatest miracle of Christ. Obviously, Christ mm-hmm. raises three people from the dead, but like when St. Thomas treats the miracles of Christ, he does the miracles in general under two different vantage or on, under two different aspects, and then he treats the transfiguration as the utmost miracle before passing on to those events at the end of Christ's life. Um, whereas we're inclined, I think, more so to think about the transfiguration as like a promise of the ascension, like it's a promise of the glorification or the exaltation which awaits Christ at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we can we can profit from both understandings of the transfiguration, because when you think about it, um, we are to be made Christ's masterwork, we're to be made his miracle, uh, in that you know the infusion of the life of grace and the transfiguration of a person by that gift is something that lies outside the bounds of nature, and yet we're at the very least, open to it, you know, like, or at the very least, not repulsed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has a trajectory. It has a tendency. It's not meant just to wow and to awe here on earth. It's meant to gravitate unto eternity. It's meant to gravitate unto heaven. So I think that, like, 
our response to the Lord's offer of his divine life in the here and now is one marked by by wonder and awe, is one marked by a certain marvel that, um, yeah, he can turn, you know, tares into wheat, that he can turn dead persons into living persons, that he can turn mere mortals into sons and daughters of God, but also that it sets about in our lives a kind of motion, which motion will only ever attain to its term, you know, with him in heaven. Um, so to ascend the mountain is already to ascend unto the heights. It's already to ascend unto heaven, or at least to do so, kind of like by 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 a promise or by a certain beginning. Yeah, and not just like wonder and awe the result of this, but also babbling incompetence. Um, <laughs> I love the Markan version of this account because yeah. you have you have Peter say, "I hardly know what God will make." Some guys, oh look, Elijah. And Mo, I don't know why they're here, but um, well, let's make some tents. I guess the good guy. You know, whenever I see shiny men, we make tents for shiny men. <laughs> uh, and then you have this sense of Mark, like Mark, traditionally according to tradition, the secretary of, of Saint Peter. So he has the reflections. of This. I mean, you can imagine Peter saying, oh, "Why? I didn't know what to say." I mean, because I was like, "Remember the tent comment?" You know, and you're like, "Look, I didn't. I didn't. Someone had to say something." <laughs> and I love that. That st- still, it's it's not like. Peter said, oh yeah, cool, transfiguration. It always made sense. It was in the presence of the divine majesty here. Um, you're just reduced to, to babbling. And that's good news for us who, when met with, with God, we can think we again, to get back to the start, the domestication of him, that he's not to be domesticated, but rather we're supposed to, he comes to us even though we're babbling idiots, and he still wants to relate to us. And it's okay sometimes just be kind of babbling in his presence. And I take that... Uh, Privilege from from Saint Peter here. I lo- and I like yeah. So not just wonder and awe, but also just stumbling and bambling and foolishness. Yeah, it's it's not you know you said you mentioned domestication, but you know it's not a matter of God being domesticated, but about us being divinated in a way, if you could say divinated. Like There's like a that. word already for this, but that's fine. It's got a T. You know, you have to have alliteration. Better this way. Yeah, um, it's better this way. I, maybe I just made it up, but yeah. in in the truth of the matter, you know what to say. Yeah, yeah that's right. Perfect <laughs> babbling, but you know that we are called to be. To to what to to reside in 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 the di- wow in the divine exactly. life in the trinitarian exactly life. right I don't know what to say yeah rather than <laughs> exactly yeah, rather than domesticating God we're we're called up mm-hmm. you know we're called yeah. to, we're, we're called up so any final thoughts I think the the theme the mountain theme here was uh, so that there's this ascent and during Lent we can have a a sense of sluggishness but this is we're climbing. We're climbing towards towards Christ. We're climbing, and it's it's our, it is supposed to feel a little bit. But we all know that when you climb a mountain, that uh, there's there's something achievement there, and it's not our own achievement. At the end of the day, I think this is part of the, the the maybe the failings we have is realizing that the achievement is Him, and yet He He still comes to us even mm-hmm. in our failed hiking trip. Speaking of failed hiking trips, I was going to say in the mountains, February and March are two of the more dangerous months. I mean, like April probably more so because you get into Sasquatch. Uh, well, I was thinking more spring avalanches. Oh. Once things start to loosen up a little bit, the snow starts coming down in uh, big slides. And there's a certain terror in the mountains, uh, a kind of terror that makes you, on the one hand, grateful to be alive, if only for a moment, but also, you know, like you get a sense that the air is a little thinner there or the separation between heaven and earth is a little thinner. So you feel close to God even as you fear for your own life. The sublime. Yeah, a little bit of the sublime. I don't know exactly how to describe it best, but I know that I've had profound experiences of God in the mountains, even as I have taken my life into my own hands, contrary to the counsel of all those. Uh, Abraham and Isaac. Yeah, bingo. Sasquatch. It all comes together. Yep. 
There it is. There you have it. All right. Well, we're going to leave you with that on this second weekend, second Sunday of Advent. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of God's Planning. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, we're super grateful for that. And you can do so through Patreon by following the links in the description and show notes below. You can also follow links in the same spots to shop God's Planning merchandise and to get information on some pretty cool ups- upcoming God's planning events. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Pray for us. We are praying for you as always. And until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.